tonight, so it's interesting my new announcements. Pay attention, okay? We want to welcome all our uh, Disciple Now kids. Everybody stand up in Disciple Now. All right, stand up. Come on. Give them a round of applause. They're pretty good kids. Guess what they did during Sunday school? They went out and made evangelism sticks, those walking sticks that we're going to give away in the park next week, so... That's pretty awesome, man. Let's give them another round of applause. Thank you guys for helping us out. Y'all can be seated. We got two special guests up here. We got Chris Wilson on the guitar, singing lead. We got Ted Boltz back here on the electric guitar. Or no, the electric bass. There we go. Man, I appreciate these guys coming from McKinley to help us out during Disciple Now. We got our speaker back here, Kobe Flowers. You should see him. He's around here somewhere. Uh, he'll be delivering our message. He's from uh, the great state of Tennessee, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. He is a baseball fan, so, man, harass him. But he was wearing a Cardinal hat, so I don't harass him too much, okay? That's pretty good. Next Sunday, guys, we have got some exciting things happening. We need your help. We're going to have a party in the park. Sunday in the park. It's like a party, all right? It's going to be in the park, and we're going to have a great time. We've got a lot of booths. We've got a lot of churches helping us out. And we need you guys to sign up, help make food, uh, do games, uh, a lot of other things. Katie's going to be up here in a little bit and tell you a little bit more. But she's got these cool shirts that you wear that say Jesus on them. She's got those things for sale if you'll help us out, okay? So if you'll uh, get signed up, get pumped up for next Sunday in the park, that would be great, okay? Also, after Sunday in the park, we are going to do our annual bike ride. All right? How many of y'all thrilled about a bike ride? Hey, how many of y'all thrilled about a bike ride? Let's go. Man, I got good news. It's downhill, but it's not downhill like you think in your mind. You're going to coast, okay? But it is. We're going to start at Tunnel Hill, and we'll go down to Vianna. We're going to leave the front parking lot at 2 o'clock next, uh, two Sundays from now, 2 o'clock. Reserve a bike, make sure it doesn't have a flat, and it'll go a little easier for you, okay? Two o'clock, we load the bikes up. If you want to avoid the bike ride and say, hey, Brent, I've done that bike ride many a times. I just want to show up for the food, and I'm going to bring my food. Four o'clock at the Vianna Park, make sure you bring a good dessert. Dwayne's testing them, okay, and seeing which one's the best, so, okay? Four o'clock, all right. Y'all excited about that? Y'all look like I feel, all right? Wake up, all right? Come on. All right. Good deal. We got one more announcement. We're going to have a video. Judy's going to come up and explain world hunger. We have chicken. We have Mopat yogurt. 
five-pound bag of red potatoes. My wife tells the story of a little kid telling his mom, Mom, we get to eat supper tonight. There's nothing better than when you give food to somebody that needs it and doesn't have it. Feeding ministry or food distribution ministry, I think our eyes were closed. We knew people were out of work. We knew businesses were closed, but we didn't realize how many people were hungry. We're finding partners from all over the state where we never thought to look. When the COVID pandemic struck in 2020, people who had never needed help getting food before found themselves out of work and hungry and quarantined at home. Illinois Baptist State Association disaster relief volunteers were not able to respond to natural disasters such as tornadoes and floods in their usual way. So disaster relief began to use volunteers and resources to deliver food. Here in Mount Vernon, they were donated this huge facility. We're getting great response from churches. Some of those churches are uh, sharing with other churches. Uh, and so there's just a real uh, good spirit of, of, of making this work across multiple communities. Churches like New Bethel Missionary Baptist Church in East St. Louis. Donna Samuels was cooking in her home to feed homeless people in her area. It was a strain. And then God connected Donna with the disaster relief. I drove semis over to the river and I'd see these tents of people living homeless. Wondered how they ate. She feeds them out of her own kitchen. The people are here are so amazing. And it's well organized. It's, I was amazed at the organization of it. You know, everybody helps out. Everybody does what they can do. And that's what's so wonderful about the whole thing. The one thing that, of course, COVID has done is that it's opened up families to needing to hear um, hope. Now we've got 10 people that we've got that are coming to church from that. Um, we've had salvation decisions. We've baptized them. It's exciting because they're reaching out. The outreach is possible because of a network of volunteers, churches, and organizations working together across Illinois. Your faithful gifts to missions, including the Mission Illinois Offering, help provide infrastructure and leadership for compassion ministry and evangelistic outreach from Chicago to Metropolis and all points in between. The network works because our churches together do compassion ministry. It's impossible to separate compassion ministry from the gospel if we want to be effective at advancing the kingdom. I do know what it is not to know Jesus. I want everybody to have the same experience up there. Good morning. And you were a part of that. We were sending um, our disaster relief volunteers the yellow shirts. We sent men and women, and they went up and helped with that distribution. And they did it many times through Mount Vernon. But your local Dorisville Church, we had um, another opportunity. There was a church in our community, a little chapel, and they had been doing food distribution, and they had needed some extra help. So beginning in March of last year, and many of you were unaware of this, but every Friday evening, we would distribute 
200 of those food boxes to people in our community, in Harrisburg and those that would drive um, back and forth. And so out here in the parking lot, we would have people lined up. And we had teams that would um, pray with people. We had teams that would load um, boxes into people's trunks so they didn't have to get out of the car. And then we would have people that would be greeters, and here's where you go, and here's how you line up. And it was a wonderful way to be able to minister to our community here. But we also had another connection, and it was just one that God made possible. We teamed up with the Golden Circle, and they were able to come because we had a real ministry um, mind that some of our senior adults might be falling through the cracks. And so we wanted to do everything we could to be sure that wasn't happening. And so they came over, and they began delivering some boxes to people on their list that they do like Meals on Wheels with. And so by the time we ended in June, um, we had been able to work with Golden Circle. We had helped them deliver. We had had people come. We had made new friends, and it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And so at 200 boxes a week, we did thousands of boxes. And we were trying to figure in the missions committee, and Katie was figuring um, – from the time that Little Chapel had started with theirs, and there was over 30,000 um, people touched, boxes distributed, families in need that we were able to touch through the Farmers to Families Ministry. And so thankful, we are very thankful um, that we were able to do that. And that's what's happening locally. And you know COVID hit, and, and it was a difficult time for everyone. But also in other parts of the world, Sometimes the COVID thing was much harder. And so this month in October, because today is um, Global Hunger Day, in other parts of the world, South Asia particularly, received over 25% of our um, SEND relief projects because of COVID last year. And so I want to share a story with you that is from a family in South Asia and it's from a couple of our missionaries. And this is in the October of this year. This is in our Missions Mosaic magazine. And so as it was, um, there was a family in South Asia. We don't know the exact location because things are, um, are difficult over there and we can't give locations and places and missionary names. So there was a family and they had four children, husband and a wife. And they were very desperate because their family was starving to death and there was no way. Over in those countries, they do not have government intervention. There's not backup plans. There's not, oh, you can go to a food bank. They don't have those kind of things that we have in the United States. And so this family had been slowly and slowly and slowly um, starving. And so the mother and father had agreed to a very drastic um, answer to their situation. And so they had decided... They would have one last meal together, and they would put poison in the food because they had rather their family all go to sleep and never wake up than to watch their children starve to death and go through that. And so they had actually gotten as far as actually putting the poison in the food, and it was prepared. And something and the father said, let's, let's, just, let's just wait a minute. Let's just wait a few minutes. And it's kind of unbelievable, but what happened in the next few minutes was some missionaries that we partner with, with the IMB. We have International Mission Board missionaries in the community, and some of their national partners knocked on their door and brought them a food delivery 
And that is because of our dollars that go, like in this pot, or to Global Hunger anytime that you want to give to it. That package contained enough food to feed this family for seven days. It has rice, beans, wheat flour, chickpeas, oil, coriander, and lentils. And so because of God's intervention, that family is alive today. And as any opportunity that our missionaries, when we give out to Helpman Compassion Ministries, they were able to share the gospel with the husband and the wife. And they could just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can you imagine having your food poisoned ready to feed your family? Ready to feed your family. Not thinking about it. Ready to feed your family. And you paused. And in that pause, God came down and sent those people. And they are able to have those funds for hunger relief and for water and for other things because we give. And that's why we stop every October, the second Sunday in October, and we talk about global hunger because we have days maybe when we go hungry, but we don't have days when we're poisoning our food for our family because there's no hope. And so thank you in the past for giving this family, this husband and this wife, because of the compassion shown to them, they prayed to receive Christ. And so not only was that day changed, not only was their lives, were their lives changed for this world, their lives were changed for all eternity. And so now they're going to be discipled by the missionaries. They'll be sharing. Hopefully their children, as they get older, will come to Christ. But thank you for making a difference. Thank you for putting money into a ministry that reaches out and gives people hope. But not only gives them hope, gives them hope in the name of Christ. So we've been teaching the kids in Click. if your kids go to Click, They've been learning for several weeks now about hunger and hunger ministries. And they kind of had a contest in collecting funds for hunger ministries. So Katie gave me the total. The girls collected $201.77, and the boys collected $300.78. So congratulations. Thank you for our teachers who've been sharing and encouraging them to give towards World Hunger. So they have brought or bringing this morning. Katie has the money, I think, in her hands, and she said she's going to give it to them so they can bring it and put it in the bean pot up here. $502.55 from our kids. So I think the gauntlet has been put down, adults. What are you going to do? So we're going to pray, and then we are going to um, have a song. And at the song, we're going to come forward and put your money for global hunger in the bean pot. And if you forgot, that's okay. Just write a check next week and put it on your offering envelope. It's all fine. We'll take money for global hunger or missions any day of the week. And so thank you for participating. Thank you for helping. And we have glove box bags the kids will be giving out at the end of the service. And so what those are are when you're traveling around, 
and you see a homeless person or someone standing by the, sh- the street holding the sign that says, we'll work for food or something, you have a box of food in your glove box or under your seat, and you stop, and you have an opportunity to minister to them by handing them a bag of food. So thank you for your participation. It's going to be a glorious time when we get to see all the people in heaven that we've been able to help and to touch. All right, let's pray. Father, how we thank you. Thank you that we didn't have to face a decision today to put poison in our children's food because they were dying of starvation. Thank you that we live in a country that we weren't doing that today. But Father, more than that, thank you for faithful giving. Thank you for making a way for us to get money to people who are desperate. And Father, who you have a heart for. You have a heart for us, but you knew that Father needed to wait. So thank you for intervening in his life and his wife. That not only would they have physical life for their family, but they would have eternal life. Thank you for our missionaries who are going and who are in place and who are able to help others know about you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your compassion. Help us to be more like you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We can stand and worship now. Again, like Judy mentioned, you can come up and put money in the pot during the song if you have. The love of God calls me up high. 
I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord And I'm restored and made right He got a hold of my life I've got Jesus I'm what I want more I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord pray for our offering. Dear God, thank you for, uh, again, bringing us here today where we can just worship you freely. God, I pray that you be with this weekend as it's Dean now for these students. God, that you just speak to them. Here are just a couple of moments after we worship. God, be with Colby as he's about to, to deliver your word for the uh, uh, second time this morning. God, I pray that you would uh, just speak through him uh, to all of us uh, today. I pray that you be with this offering and you use it how you will and how you plan. We ask all this in your name. Amen.
Morning, church. It's great to be with you all. My name is Colby Flowers. Uh, I am here um, for the third time here in Harrisburg. I I came here, I was doing the math with with my man David back here. I think it was 2018 that I I last came. And I was with you guys for a D-Now, and then the following year I was with McKinley and we did a Dean out there as well, but then of course 2020 happened and you know something big happened which kind of threw everything off. But we're back here in 2021. I'm so glad to be here with you. Um, I'm from Lexington, Kentucky, born and raised, so I'm a Wildcat fan. Any Wildcat fans out there? No? Boo, yeah, I like <laughs> We're six and oh, so I'm happy. I saw Alabama lost to, to AM, so uh, that's just not that's just not good. But you know, we're gonna we're gonna be ranked higher than Alabama. What world are we living in where Kentucky's ranked higher than Alabama? Anyway, um, but so good to be with you guys. Um, I'm actually with in Memphis, Tennessee now with my wife, and we're at a church plant where we serve, um, and, we're, and God's blessing us there, um, despite the fact that we started this church plant right before COVID hit. And so the unique challenge that COVID is, um, and thrown into that mix, that we're a part of a church plant that is young and growing. Um, but we're thankful for God's blessing, and I'm so thankful that God is blessing your church and blessing you with your with an incredible staff. And uh, this morning, and for this weekend, um, I came and I was tasked by my man Brent to speak to these students. And we've been hanging out just a little bit so far, but we've got a couple more sessions to go. And this idea that we're going to look at this morning is a continuing on the theme that we've been that we've started yesterday, and it's this idea of whose you are. Whose you are. Are you God's or do you belong to the world? And so part of that, this whole idea of whose you are, this idea of commitment came to my mind. And so to commit to something is incredibly important. We commit to all kinds of things in our life. And so I got married about four years ago. Almost, yeah, almost four years ago. Yeah, it's, yeah you got to remember that date. Uh, but got married and it's an incredible commitment to be married. Incredible commitment. 
one that really is costs you something when you, when you commit to that. But then, um, four months ago, uh, we had a baby girl. And I got a picture for you guys just so you can see her. Um, that's my wife, Maggie, and my baby girl, Charlie. See, she takes after my hair. I got, she, got, she got that from me, but everything else she gets from my beautiful wife. Um, but she is in, she's incredible. Um, it's the first time, first child for us. And so I'm learning what it means to be a parent. And so I see some of you out there with, with babies. And I know the struggle trying to keep a baby through a church service. It can be difficult. But, but praise God for his grace, right, and his patience. But all that to say is, is, is I've learned what commitment is through marriage and through having a child. Because here's what I've learned. Commitment is costly. Committing to something is going to cost you something. We can't really commit to anything and not expect to give something up. And so this morning we're going to look at a couple passages in the Gospel of Mark. Focused on this idea that we are to commit to dying to yourself. This idea of committing to dying to yourself. And so here's a theme verse that we have for this weekend for our students. And it's going to benefit us as we walk through this. But it comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 1, and it says this. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. See, Paul's writing here to a church, and he's trying to encourage them that you have to keep going. That once you come to know Christ, once you commit your life to Christ, it doesn't stop there. And it's not just about how you start a race, but how you finish it. Amen? It's not just about how you start it, but how you continue on in that race. It's like the rabbit and the turtle race, right? Slow and steady wins. And we're going to see in the text today about what it looks like to commit to Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, are you truly committed to Christ? Because our commitment to Christ will waver if we live for ourselves. Our commitment to Christ will waver if we live for ourselves. This whole idea that we're going to see this morning, it's going to combat this. To live a life for ourselves kind of goes against what the whole idea of committing to Christ really is. And so we're going to be here in Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple verses here and then we're going to jump to Mark 8 a little bit later. But here in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is just now beginning his ministry. And so he needs to go out and find some people who are going to work alongside him in this ministry. And so look here with me in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. This is Jesus passing along the side of the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these two fishermen who are working their craft. They're active in their work. They're trying to make a wage. And Jesus, being a rabbi, approaches them and and comes up to them and says, listen, I want you to follow me. Now, the Jewish culture, it was an incredible honor for a rabbi to ask you to follow him. And typically, in the Jewish culture, rabbis would only go and ask people to follow them according to their pedigree. 
if they were gifted, if they'd have well-known family. And so rabbis tended to ask people who, who you might deem qualified, we could say. But Jesus goes to these two unsuspecting teenage boys, fishermen, who weren't of, of great reputation, who didn't have official training in rabbinical teaching and all of that, but all they had was fishing. And they were part of this business that their fathers owned. And so Jesus walks up to them and says, I want you to follow me. And the important thing here is too, why he says that. He says to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So what Jesus does here, he goes to what they were doing as a job, as a profession And more than likely, they found a lot of their identity in which the thing that they were doing. But he said, listen, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so Jesus takes what their job was and says, I've got a greater purpose for your life. So listen, the call to follow Jesus, it is an invitation to leave behind everything to pursue the life-changing mission of making disciples. This is what the call to follow Jesus is. So if we say that we are a follower of Jesus, this should describe our life, that we are leaving everything behind. And it's in fact what Peter, who is mentioned here as Simon and Andrew and all the other disciples did. They left behind houses, jobs, families, wives, friends, all for the sake of following Jesus on his mission to make fishers of men. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, there's a prophecy that says this in Jeremiah 16, 16, saying, Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And just as Jesus had this habit of fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament, he does it again here by calling fishermen to come to win back the people of God. So friends, I need you to hear this morning, and this is incredibly important. The local church should have a disciple-making culture and not a seat-filling culture. What I mean by that is, is the church was created and founded on this culture and this idea that we are to make disciples, not just people who fill seats. And the danger, I believe, even in the Baptist denomination, and we can kind of branch this out to to different denominations, but because I've been a Baptist my whole Christian life, I've seen it firsthand, that the Baptist church can sometimes be very good at making converts, but not very good at making disciples. And so what Jesus is saying here is, is not only am I going to take you out of this job that you're doing, I'm giving you a greater purpose to go and make disciples, not just bringing people to the waters of baptism and then calling on the name of Jesus, but we're going to bring people to full sanctification, to a full relationship with Jesus, and we're going to see it grow and grow in their life. So listen, friends, Jesus transforms your jobs, hobbies, and interests By giving you a greater purpose to do them. No longer are we going to work to clock in and clock out just to earn a paycheck. No longer are we doing our hobbies and our interests just because we want to do them and because we want to spend a life focused on ourselves. But what Jesus is doing here is he's giving us an opportunity, inviting us to use every part of our life for the sake of making disciples. So whether you're at work at a desk, you're out in the field... 
whether you're at your, your kid's ball game, whether you're in school, every aspect of our life should be focused on one thing is making disciples. Because Jesus is more focused on eternity than he is on today. So I want to ask you this morning, do you, do you consider yourself a fisherman or a fisher of men? Is your primary focus in life is to, go, to wake up, go to work, get the paycheck, provide for your kids, provide for your families, and then go back to sleep and do it all over again? Or is your main focus that your whole life is aimed and focused at making disciples, beginning first with your family, but then extending out to your workplace and the places that you go throughout the day? And this can be even said of our students. It's so easy to get caught up in a busy schedule that all of us have, right? You wake up in the morning. Sometimes you wake up on time. Sometimes you don't. You get to school late. Maybe your parents have to sign you a little note to make sure you get to class. But for you guys, you have a busy schedule. And so for some of you, maybe it's waking up in the morning and reminding yourself, listen, I've got a greater purpose in going to school today than just learning math, English, and science. But instead of that greater purpose is as I go into these places I am making disciples. I'm seeking to make disciples. And I want to make this note too, because I don't want to get past this too much. Because these were unsuspecting teenagers who were fishermen. These were not people who had degrees. They didn't go off for a couple years to go to seminary to learn Greek and Hebrew and learn all these homiletical things and and theological background. Like they, They didn't have all this. You know what they had? They knew how to cast a net into a sea and pull up fish. Ordinary people. Everyday people. And so for some of you this morning, you may have this thought that, well, I'm just an ordinary average Joe. I don't have formal teaching. I don't have formal training. I don't have the whole Bible memorized. I can't fully understand the scriptures. I don't know everything there is to know about God and the Bible. But let me tell you, neither did these unsuspecting teenagers. Because it is in God's plan to call ordinary people to follow him. And they may appear unwise, they may appear weak, and they may appear lowly. Because it is the universal call for all people who follow Jesus, who are called by the name of Jesus, to make disciples. So here's the first thing I want us to get out of this morning, is that we need to believe that Jesus calls the unqualified to follow him. You may feel unqualified this morning, but where do you think these teenagers felt? Looking up here at these teenagers, they're still trying to figure out life. Same thing for Simon and Andrew. But but the reality is you don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to know everything. What God is calling you to, inviting you to, you don't have to be qualified for. When I was in, in college, I went to school for baseball, but I did not know Jesus. I, I had no idea what the gospel really is. And I told the students last night this, but I described it this way. I, I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. That is, I knew things about him. I knew facts about him, but I didn't know him. And so when I went to college, I heard the gospel, I believe, because of some faithful people in my life pouring into me. And I hear the gospel, I accept the gospel. And I didn't know anything outside of, by grace, through faith, I can be saved through the name of Jesus. And so beginning there, I started reading the Bible. And then I just started talking to people. It got to the point where God led me to to just start a Bible study for our baseball team. And before I know it, I get to my junior year and I start feeling the call to ministry. And so I go to seminary, I get this degree, and, and now I'm a pastor. But let me tell you, 
I didn't begin qualified. And friends, I stand up here today, I'm not very qualified even today. Because I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm in need of God's grace every day. And maybe you feel the same way, but the truth is, God doesn't call qualified people. He calls us into this, and guess what? As we're going, he qualifies us. He makes us more knowledgeable in the scriptures. He brings us to a greater relationship with him. And as a result, we get better and better at this disciple-making thing. Look at this here in verse Corinthians. I love the the way Paul puts this. It says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It is God's pattern of calling people, not who, who seem qualified by the world. And all of it, all the results of it, is so that nobody can boast because it's all because it's a grace from God. Amen. So let's continue on here in Mark chapter 8. We're going to jump on here to chapter 8, further along in the story and the life and ministry of Jesus. Because this is after Peter has seen Jesus do some miraculous things. He's seen Jesus feed thousands of people multiple times. He's, he's seen Jesus walk on water. He's seen Jesus do some incredible healings, casting out of demons. And we get here to chapter 8, and there is this incredibly important conversation Jesus has. It says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? See, there were differing opinions about the true identity of Jesus. And so what Jesus does here is he asks them, who do people say that I am? What are the rumors and the opinions going around about who I am and my identity? And and Jesus is very good here at asking questions. If you know your Gospels, you read through the Gospels. Jesus asked questions just as much as he gave answers. And there's a reason behind that, friends. And the purpose of asking them instead of telling them the answer is that he wants them to have their own answer to the question. So this is key for students, for all of us. To have ownership of a personal faith in Christ, we must be able to answer this question ourselves. To have a personal faith in Christ, we must be able to have a personal answer to say, who is Jesus? And this is crucial. No one can answer this question for us. No one can answer this question for you, students. Your parents can't answer it for you. Your grandparents can't answer it for you. You have to answer this question. Who is Jesus? And do I believe in him? We talked about this uh, last night. What you believe will determine how you live. So how you believe in Jesus and who you believe Jesus to be, that's going to determine how you live your life. So to have ownership of a personal faith in Christ, we must be able to answer this question for ourselves. So I want you to see this here, friends. The goal in leading a person to Christ is not making sure they know all the right answers. It's not making sure we can give them the right answers to spit back at us so that they believe. No, no, no. It's so that we can help them lead or lead them to have a personal saving faith. And this is a message, I think, for parents, for anyone who works with kids, with students, who have grandparents, who have families. 
We don't want just to tell them the right answers. We want them to own their faith. Because the danger is, as kids grow up, we can baptize them young, they get older, but they realize they only believe what their parents believed. They never believed it themselves. And then they get to high school, and they're confronted with different ideas. Then they might go to college, and they start hearing about ideas that aren't biblical. And guess what? They walk away from the faith because they never had a personal faith of their own. So, friends, we have to do the do our part to making disciples in with our families, but especially with younger students, that they can own their personal faith. Look what he says here in verse 29. This is Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? So now it makes it personal. Not who does everybody else say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one we've been waiting for. In verse 30, Jesus says, and strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So Peter considers it. He considers the opinions out there. And then he realizes that this is the Christ. He's the son of God. He's come to save us of our sins. So this morning, friends, to be a follower of Jesus, you must believe that Jesus is the Christ and to know him in personal relationship. To be a follower of Jesus, you must believe that he is the Christ and know him in personal relationship. It's a requirement. It has to be so. So here's the second thing I want us to chew on and I want us to to really consider. To know Jesus personally. Do you know Jesus personally? I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus. Do you know Jesus In a world where we're filled with social media all over the place, including TikTok and and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. It used to be MySpace back in the day. But all of these social media platforms, when you go to follow someone or you're friends with someone, it's often that we really don't know that person real well, right? We may follow them and we may know things about them, but we really don't know them personally. And so, friends, we cannot know Jesus that way. We cannot follow Jesus as if we know things about him, but don't know him in personal relationship. There is a huge difference. And so the question this morning, I want you to hear, do you know Jesus personally? John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's the key to eternal life. It's not church attendance. It's not being good enough. It's not that your parents went to church or your grandparents went to church. It's not that you read your Bible every day. It's not that you pray enough. It's if you know Jesus in relationship. That's the key to all of this. So it goes on here in the text in in Mark chapter 8. Jesus then begins to teach them and Peter doesn't like it. Verse 31 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. But look what Peter does. And he said this plainly to them, very clear, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So one minute, Peter says, You're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the one that's come to save us. Jesus says, I'm about to go suffer and die and be raised again. Peter says, no, no, no. You don't understand, Jesus. That's not what the Christ is. 
See, the Christ was supposed to come in Peter's mind. The Christ was supposed to come, set up a political kingdom in Israel, rebuild Israel, and kick everybody else out. He was supposed to establish the kingdom of God immediately, and that's what the and that that's the way it goes. In fact, the term that Jesus uses here, the Son of Man, has a very big significance in the Old Testament. Look here in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Peter's remembering this. This is the Son of Man. This is the Ancient of Days, this prophecy in Daniel. The Ancient of Days, God himself handing over a throne and a kingdom to the Son of Man as he's reigning in glory and victory over everything. So Peter's like, this can't happen, Jesus. You go to the cross and suffer and die? No, no, no. That's not the way of Christ. That's not the, that's not the path you should be taking. I want you to see here, friends, Peter rebukes Jesus when he says that he must suffer and die because his understanding of what the Christ came to do is wrong. His understanding of Christ and what he came to do was wrong. Because he thought he was coming to get rid of the Romans. But friends, there was a much greater enemy that Jesus came to defeat. Look at this in here in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 because I think Peter forgot about this. Talking about the suffering servant, this says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. Friends, the Christ did not come the first time to defeat a nation but to defeat sin. Christ came first to defeat sin and to ultimately defeat death. But his first task was to go to the cross and to die, to take all of the sins of the world with him to the grave and keep him there. And then one day we're going to see Jesus come back in his glory and establish the kingdom of God. That's coming later. But what Peter's thought is that the kingdom of God was coming now. And now all the suffering and the pain's gone. But this is dangerous. Because if we begin to think this way, we're going to begin a life of comfort. So look what it goes on and says here in in verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples, this is Jesus, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, Jesus rebukes Peter here and says, Your mind's not set on the will of God, but it's set on your own personal will. See, the Christ came to suffer and die. He did not come to set up a a kingdom of comfort. Jesus came to suffer. And so, friends, the temptation for us this morning is that we're going to try everything we can to avoid sacrifice and suffering. It's natural. We're going to try everything we can to avoid sacrifice and suffering. But Jesus is saying here, That's not the path that I have. And then he says here, this is chilling, very humbling words here in verse 34. This is Jesus calling the crowd to him, not just his disciples now, he's calling everybody. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
See, the path of following Jesus and committing your life to Jesus is not one of comfort and ease. It is of sacrifice and surrender. And so what Jesus is saying here is, is that if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. So listen, committing to Christ requires for us to deny ourselves and the plans we have for our life, to die to our own desires and follow Christ becoming like him. That's the call to follow Jesus. It's a call to sacrifice and surrender. I want to ask you this morning, does that describe your life? See, I don't think Jesus is just saying here, I want you to just become a poor homeless person. I want you to go sell your house, sell your car, and then go live on the streets, and that's the way it is to be Christian. That's not what God is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that we are to live a life that is giving our life and surrender and sacrifice to God. So if God tells us to go somewhere, we go. If God tells us to give up something, we give it up. If God tells us to put this in front of that, that is what we do with our life. And so look what he goes on here and says in verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. He says something that, that appears to be contradicting here, but it's not. He says... If you try to keep and hold on to your life and withhold it from God, friends, you're going to lose it. But instead, the opposite is true. If we give our life and surrender our life to God, we keep it for eternity. And what this looks like is, is if we live a life facing God where we have our life in our hands and clenching it with all of our might, that's what it means to hold back our life from God. Here, God, you, you can have, maybe you can have my finances. You can have some of my possessions. But you know what, God? I'm going to hold back and I'm going to keep my family to myself. That's mine. Or maybe it's the opposite for you. You know what, God? You can, you can have this part of my life. You can have this part of my life. But you know what? I'm going to keep all my retirement. My retirement 401k. That's all mine, God. All these possessions. You know, God, you can keep all this, but you know what? I'm going to make sure I keep my, my boat and make sure I have everything that I can to go out on my fishing trips. And I'm going to keep all of that because I don't want to give that up. I'm keeping that to myself, God. Students, it's easy for us to do the same thing. God, here's all my life, but you know what? I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep baseball. Here's my life, God. I surrender my life to you, but you know what? I got to keep baseball back because I, I can't live without it. I can't live out without that, without that person in my life, that dating relationship that I need. I got to keep it. So I've got to hold on to it, God. My life's yours, but I'm keeping this. See, what Jesus is saying here is, it's not to just give some of your life. It's to give all of your life. And the path to eternal life begins by dying to yourself, friends. So if we say that we follow Jesus and we're committing our life to Jesus, what that really means is, is I'm putting my whole life on the line. I'm giving my life to Jesus so that he has say on whatever happens with it. My wife and I are from Kentucky. I was pastoring. I was a student pastor there for a while. I went to another church. And as we were there, we felt a call from God to move to Memphis, Tennessee. And I didn't know anything about Memphis outside of the Memphis Grizzlies, friends. And they got good barbecue. Amen? Good barbecue. But God called both of us. And the biggest concern was is that we have to leave behind our families. 
And some of you may be here today, this isn't where you're from, and you've got family scattered all over the place, but it is difficult not to be near family, amen? And so we had to make a choice. Am I going to hold tightly to my family and to the relationships that I've built here, or do, are we going to go and follow the call of God in our life? And as difficult as it was of me for months holding on, my wife encouraged me, said, listen, we got to go. And so we go to Memphis. And God blesses us there. But the thing is, we don't realize quite how much we're actually giving up when we go to follow Christ because he's asking us to give us everything. To give him everything. And this is important here in verse 36, or 38, I'm sorry. Because he says here, Forever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, to be ashamed of Christ and to be ashamed of his words is to deny and to reject them. To reject them. To hear Jesus, what he has said, what he's promised us, what he's offering us, and to say, listen, I don't want it. To be ashamed of Jesus now, being ashamed of Jesus now in the gospel, this will result in him being ashamed of you and me when he returns in his power and glory. And that day's coming, friends. The day's coming when Christ is going to return. And if we have not given our life to Christ, if we've been ashamed of the gospel, if we've lived our life focused on ourselves, friends, he's going to be ashamed of us when he returns. So here's the last thing I want us to see out of this passage this morning is that to commit to Christ by dying to yourself. It's required. And I don't mean to be so harsh and I don't mean to make it seem like you're just surrendering and you're giving up everything and and life's going to be horrible and miserable. I don't mean it that way. And we're going to see that here in a second. But to commit to Christ, what it means is that you're dying to yourself. You're denying yourself. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul recognized when he came to Christ, he he was dead to himself. It was no longer about what he wanted. His entire life was lived out for what God had for him. So friends, this morning, are you living the life God's called you to live? Are you clinging to the life that you want? There's this famous quote here from Jim Elliott. I had to include it because it's so simple, but it's so true. And some of you may recognize this, but it says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Because here's the reality. When we die and pass away, all the things that we can muster and all the things that we can profit from and all the things that we can keep and hold on to, what does it matter if we die and now we have to leave it all here? The possessions, the money, the retirement, even the relationships, the experiences, all those things aren't necessarily evil. But if our life becomes focused on those things and we, and we pass, all those things are staying here anyway. And so the question here is, are we willing 
to give up the things that we cannot keep, to gain an eternal life which we can never lose in Christ Jesus. Look at what this says here in Mark 10, 29 through 30. Because I think the concern here for some of us is, what are we getting back? If I really give up my life, if I commit to follow Jesus, what am I getting back for? Look what this says. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother, brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers, children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, he promises eternal life. So what Jesus says here is, you may be surrendering your life now, but I promise you the reward is going to be far greater than the cost. And so here's the challenge I have for us this morning. Are you dying to yourself daily? Is that describe your life? Or is your life so focused on yourself and so focused on this life that you're missing out what God is calling you to do? Friends, none of us are immune to this. None of us are immune from the temptation to live our life for ourselves. And friends, all we got to do is look at, look at our schedules. Look at how we spend our time. Look at how we spend our money. The first thing that comes into our mind when we wake up. The last thing in our mind when we go to sleep. Is our life focused on following Christ, or is it focused on ourselves? So I invite the band back up. And as they're coming up this morning, I want to invite you to do something. You're in a community full of people. And, and to be honest, it's going to be very hard for you to find someone in this, this city that hasn't heard of the name of Jesus. But I can assure you there are tons of people in this city who think that they know Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. And there may be people in this room this morning who know about Jesus, but I've never really encountered a, the real Jesus. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Do you know Jesus personally? Not have you read about him, not have you said a prayer to him. Because friends, even before I was a Christian, I I tried praying to God. But I'm asking, do you actually know him in personal relationship? My invitation morning is, is is very simple. If you don't know who Jesus is, come and talk to somebody. Like if this is you... And you're realizing that maybe my life and my, my religion doesn't really match up with what this relationship with Jesus looks like. But maybe for some of you this morning, you've been a Christian for a long time. But the reality is, is you've gotten back into this life focused inwardly instead of focused outwardly. And your life is more focused on doing for yourself and living for yourself as opposed to living for God and living for others. And friends, the call is the same to Peter, and the call is the same to you as it was when he first called you to faith in Jesus. Follow me. Because it's a daily follow.
And so this morning I invite you. Do you know him? And are you dying to yourself daily in your following of him? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for a gospel. And and we're thankful for a savior. Who saves us from our sins. So that it is not by how much we can do. And how much we can muster up in the efforts we can can give to be saved. But we know that the gospel says that anyone who believes in the name of Jesus will be saved. We know Romans 10.9 says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. And so, Father, my prayer is is this morning is that everybody knows you personally in relationship. Whether they've been in church for a long time or they haven't. Father, my prayer this morning is that we would be reminded of the call you gave to Peter. That is to live our lives in surrender and sacrifice to you daily. Not once in the waters of baptism, but every day we follow you in surrender. So, Father, I'm praying this morning that for those who don't know you personally, that they would make their commitment to Christ today. And that for those who have been straying away and wandering away into a life of of focused on themselves, that they would be reminded that we are called to live a life of sacrifice. And in fact, there is greater joy and reward in living our lives for you and for others than it is for living for ourselves. Father, would you do work this morning and show us and remind us of that call? And I pray, Father, that you would convict us and bring us to our knees to remind us, God, that it's by your grace that we're saved and we need to continue on in that grace. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you all respond how the Lord is leading you. Feel free to stand, come forward to pray, find a pastor. If you don't know Jesus, don't leave here without talking to someone. You all may stand to your feet. You were the word at the beginning, one with God.
Be seated just for a minute. Katie around. I don't see her. All right. Katie, come on. She said she wanted time at the end of service, so I was making you earn it. Run. Multiple things going on. Um, so, yes, I just wanted to remind you all that next Sunday will be our Sunday in the park. We do have these awesome T-shirts. And if you signed up to volunteer, please come see me. I do have a small portion of them left from our first order, but I do have about 200-ish more coming. So we will give them out until we run out of them. And I will have them probably next Sunday I'll have a big order. And if I don't have them here, they will be at the event. So just make sure you see me at the event. If you have signed up to volunteer, we need the volunteers to be there at 2. And so far, I think it's going to be a fantastic God-centered, loving on Jesus, and loving our community event. So I'm very, very, very excited about it. All right. That's what you want to hear, isn't it? Get involved. Sign up. Sign up sheets are out there. Please do that. And we're going to have a great time. All right? Oh, man. Don't forget the bike ride. All right? Okay. Be praying for the youth. We're going to finish up Disciple Now. We've got all day today. We're going to be doing scavenger hunt. We're going to be doing a lot of other things. And we got Kobe coming back this evening. i got two sessions in the morning. Who's all ready? Ah, oh, there we go, Carmelo. All right. Good job. Let's all stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's been good to be in your house. Sometimes that uh, we think we get life figured out, Lord. We get too comfortable. We want it the way we want it. Forgive us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the word that came from Kobe this morning. Help us to look at our commitment. Help us to look at whose we are. And Heavenly Father, more than anything, help us to walk worthy of that name. Help us to do the things that you've called us to do. And don't see it as a drudgery, but see it as a privilege to serve you. A privilege to love people. A privilege to know that you are our Savior and we get to spend eternity with you. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you just continue to be with thee now, be with our church as we get ready for uh, Sunday in the park. Heavenly Father, allow our fellowship to be sweet. Allow us to rejoice in your name. And may your Holy Spirit go before us and equip us in any way we need. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people say, Amen. Amen.